Okay, it is fantastic to be back. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Um, took vacation. I took Lori to Europe for being together for 45 years. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, we took, uh, we were with a group from the church at the beginning, and we followed the path of Easy Company as they worked their way through uh, World War II. So we would go to uh, visited Normandy, visited uh, all these museums, and we'd go from place to place. And one of the really amazing places is Bastogne. Bastogne is where the Battle of Bastogne took place, and uh, the Germans had taken a major offensive in the winter. They'd come toward this town, and uh, these Easy Company was part of a group that was surrounded by the Germans, but they were going to defend this town. And so uh, what they did was, uh, you may be able to see a picture of Lori and I, we're actually in that woods, in that place, and there's, there's these foxholes there that are the original foxholes from when they were in this battle just outside of Foy. It was zero degrees and below. They dug foxholes, and then they slept in the foxholes while they were being shot at and missiles are going over or tanks are shooting these guys are hungry, they're frostbit, and it's, it's in unbelievable circumstances. And over and over again, this story was told of men who said, they would, their, their officers would come to them and say, hey, you're getting frostbit, I want you off the front line, I need you to go back, and they'd be like, don't take me off the line. Don't take me off the line. What? Most of us would be, get me off the line. How do I get to where I'm in safety? What is going on in a man's heart when he says, I know who I am? That their identity is so unshakable that in the hardest of times, they do not melt. They are not cowards. They are courageous and strong, and they put their life on the line. They're watching their friends die. They know they could die at any time, and they say, don't take me off the line. Identity is very important to who you are and your life. It is the question, who am I? You ask this question all the time. Whenever you walk into a new situation, whenever you're faced with a struggle, whenever you, really, when you wake up in the morning, you ask the question, who am I? For, for many of you, when you went to high school parties, it's still true. For when you get older, we just don't like to admit it. Before you walked into the party, you asked yourself, who am I? And those of you who are quiet people said, oh, I'm the quiet guy. So you walk into the party, and even though you, you, you felt like going, woohoo! No, no, not you. You're the quiet guy. That's who I am. And for others of you, you were the loud guy. And so you walk into the party, and as soon as you, before you walk in, you don't even know you're asking yourself. You do. You ask yourself, who am I? You walk into that party, I'm the loud guy, and you're loud. We so expect that. When the loud guy is quiet, everybody comes up to him and goes, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Right? When the quiet guy is loud, you're like, what are you doing, man? That's not you. Our identity hugely impacts us. How do we develop an unshakable identity? One that will serve us in the midst of the toughest of times. 
Well, let's jump into 1 Peter and find out. You guys have Bibles there? We spread them out this morning. The reason is we're going to walk through this passage. We want to teach you the passage. It's a heavy laden passage. There's no way we can teach you all of it, but I want you to see the context of how it works. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can also pull it up on your phones, but uh, sometimes just being able to see it in paper uh, can really help you. As far as your notes, I wrote this message before I went on vacation. Uh, I have application at the end. I came back, totally changed it. And so the second half of the notes, they don't count. You'll see that when we get there. Um, okay. The picture that is happening, or what we saw first in 1 Peter, we saw that our foundation is unshakable. Why? Because it is from God. He has promised us eternity. It's eternal. It lasts forever. Therefore, it's unshakable, and it's by grace through faith. It, it is solid because it's God's gift to us, not because it's dependent upon us. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, the verse 3 verses say, we can develop an unshakable mind by filling it with God's word. Why? Because God's word is unshakable. It never changes. And then he says this. He begins to work in 1 Peter, and he is going to talk about building this spiritual house of priests, this new house of priests. And he's going to refer to the Old Testament. And the reason is many of the people who are reading this are Jews. They're Jewish. They live their whole entire lives experiencing and practicing that the only way you get to God is through the priests, the Levitical system. The way that you get to God is through the priests. Now listen, that is not wrong. It's 100% right. No one gets to God without a priest. No one gets to God without a priest. If you actually came into God's presence without a priest, you die. Because of who he is, how holy he is. That's the context of we, as we jump into this. And coming to him as to a living stone, which, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Who's this living stone? It's Christ. Christ Rejected by men, but God thinks he's amazingly valuable. You also as living stones. Wait. He now is going to take those who are believers, are because they're in Christ, they're part of this house. You also are living stones. And being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, that's who you are. You're part of the house. That's your identity. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How can we possibly offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God? It comes through Christ. It comes through this relationship that we have with Christ. It comes through being connected with Christ. Then he says, for this is contained in the scriptures. So he says, he makes this statement, God is building this spiritual house. You're part of that spiritual house. He goes, the Old Testament talked about this. And then this next section, he talks about how the Old Testament uh, started this idea. Behold, I lay in Zion a, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. That's good news. The, this precious value then is for those who believe. 
Now he starts to, to dis, make a distinction. If you're here this morning and you have accepted the stone, if you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, this is true of you. This is your identity. If you do not believe in Christ as your personal Savior, you've actually rejected the stone. You've actually said, no, I, I'm not going to build my life on that stone. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to build my life on my own stone. He says, the stone which the builders rejected. In other words, it's rejected by men. This became the very cornerstone. The cornerstone in any house, Now we don't build houses out of stone anymore. Well, I guess they do, but we don't. You haven't seen it very often. They look for a stone that is going to be the cornerstone. It's got to be perfectly square so that when you set it in the corner and you build the rest of the house out from there, it's all built from the cornerstone. If you have a bad cornerstone, you've got a bad house. It's not going to work. If you have a good cornerstone, it's going to work. The picture is the world rejects Christ, doesn't want that cornerstone, doesn't want to build their house on that stone. But God accepts Christ. And says, no, that's what I'm going to build my house out of, is Christ. He's very different from the world. He's rejected from the world, but that's what I want to build it out of. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What? This is important. Jesus is offensive. Jesus is very offensive. And it says, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. What do you mean Jesus is offensive? Jesus comes to us and says, listen, I am holy and pure and good. Now, I love you, but you have nothing to offer me. If somebody said, hey, I want to be your friend, and in this friendship, I want you to understand you have nothing to offer. I, I'm going to bring everything to the friendship. You're going to hang out with that friend? You're going to be offended. It's offensive that Jesus comes to us and says, you're broken, you're wicked, you're selfish, God will never accept you, and you are going to spend eternity in hell. You hear this in uh, media all the time. You hear people say this all the time. What? What are you saying? Are you saying that God says, that Jesus says, I'm going to go to hell? Jesus is offensive. He actually does say that. If you've accepted that stone, you've said, yes, Jesus, you're right. I get it. I looked in the mirror. Everything you said about me is right. I need a Savior. Will you be my Savior? Yes, I'll be your Savior. That's the relationship. That's what this is, is built on. Then... He makes a statement about who you are. He gives you your identity. Before uh, we read that verse, I want to go back to Exodus. In Exodus, he's giving the identity to the nation of Israel, who was going to be his people. The nation of Israel was going to represent God. The nation of Israel was going to have such an amazing, special relationship with God, the rest of the world would see it and go, oh my goodness, God's amazing. I want to follow God too. And this is what he said to them in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. 
And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So the people who are studying this, or the people who get this letter the first time, when they're hearing about this new identity and they're hearing about what Christ has to say, they're going, what about the Old Testament? What about the priesthood? What about everything God has done in the past? And Jesus is going to say to them, yes, I'm going to replace that priesthood with a new house, with a new priesthood. And so, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is what he says about everyone who is a believer. But you are a chosen race. You ever hear that about the Israelites? They're a chosen people? Guess who's the chosen people? You are the chosen people. A royal priesthood. A whole new access to God. A whole new way to interact with God. A holy nation. A whole new government. A whole new king. I now have a new king. A people for God's own possession. I have a new owner. I belong to God. I am his precious possession. Why? What am I supposed to do with this new identity? So that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? When I grab a hold of that identity, I will experience. I will make it clear how amazing God truly is. For once you were not a people, but you now are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where does it start? It starts with you going, I am the one. I'm the one who was in the darkness. I'm the one who didn't have a chance. I'm the one who didn't have any mercy. But Jesus has given me mercy. He's given me a new life. So, that's the Bible passage. We cannot focus on a full, all four of them. We could take one, each one, and do a message on each one. We're going to focus on this royal priesthood. This royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest does two things. He, he might do more, but for this morning, he does two things. One, he offers sacrifices to God that are acceptable. The greatest experience to any human being is to know that God is pleased with you. The greatest experience to any human being is to know that what I did was incredibly pleasing to God, that I am pleasing to God. It's the heights of heights. It's the joy of joys to know that God accepts who I am. The second thing that a priest does is he represents God. He leads people to God. Now, 90% of you come from a Catholic background. It might be 99%, but 90% of you come from a Catholic background. You know about priests. I uh, went to a funeral this week and it was in Newark at the Basilica. So this, uh, the father, the priest there, he was like the priest, the priest, the priest. And you could tell. 
You know how you could tell? This guy had a normal robe on. This guy had a nicer robe on. And that guy had the robe of robes. It was quite a robe. Now, let me ask you something. How do you interact when you see a priest in his robes? You honor it. There's something special about that. Now, many of you, 90% of you are here because you're, you used to be Catholic, because the priest didn't fulfill what a priest ought to do. How can you know that, Pastor Chris? Because I've talked to most of you. And most of you said, they said one thing, but they did something else. So it's possible that you are, have on priestly robes, but you don't actually accept the role of a priest. And here's what I want you to grab today. about being a priest, about your identity. You've grown up in a culture that has told you that the way you raise kids is you raise them to have a good self-image. So what you do from the time that they are six months is you tell them they are the greatest thing on the face of the earth. And you tell them they can be anything they want to do, they can do anything they want to do, and they deserve everything. I mean deserve everything. And you tell it to them, 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 and you tell it to them. And the whole idea behind this philosophy is that when they're older, they feel so good about themselves that they love and care other people, and when tough times come, they can stand up. It hasn't worked out so good. Why? You do not develop an identity from somebody telling you something over and over again. You do not develop an identity that, is, that will stand up to tough times because someone talks to you about it again and again and again or because you memorize it or because you listen to tapes that tell you how great you are. That's not how you develop an identity. You develop an identity... By accepting the responsibility of the identity and going to war. You develop an identity by accepting the responsibility of that identity and going to war. Going into tough times and practicing that identity. What do you mean? Every man in here who is a great father, at some point in their life, looked at their child and said, I am the only man on the face of the earth that can be their father. I will put on the robe. I will do whatever it takes for that child to become a man of character, 
to know Christ and to know he's a man. And when you put on that robe, there's something that happens to you that says, don't take me off the line. I don't care what this costs me. Do not take me off the line. Why not? Because I'm his dad. That's why. I'm the father. That's who I am. So, you say, I, I want to challenge you today to put on the robe. You say in your life, in the way that we naturally look at our lives, we say, God, I want to follow you. That's what I want to do. And you see yourself as just your normal job. Normal person, normal guy, average dude. You have an identity already. It's from the way you grew up. It's, the, it's where you came from. You have that identity. I have one. Mine, my identity, my most fundamental identity from my past is I'm a farmer. We showed up in Switzerland, well, actually the whole trip. The whole trip, we would go to these museums and then we would travel. So while we're traveling, I'm driving, these poor people riding with me, right? There's farms all over the place. I mean, it didn't matter how many farms I saw, I couldn't see more, I, I couldn't get enough of it. When we went to Switzerland, oh my goodness. They were baling hay. I got to talk to dairy farmers. I looked for cows. It was, it was beautiful, amazing. Almost none of you would show up in Switzerland and go, where's the cows? <laughs> it's not your identity. It's one of my most fundamental identities. Another one is that I'm, I work hard. That's what I do. I won't quit. I will never quit. I will never quit. I have a lot of negative identities, too. You would not believe how many times in a day I call myself an idiot. You would not believe it. It's a lot. I have an identity that I truly believe, no matter how good it's getting, something bad's going to happen pretty soon. It's part of my identity. I also have an identity that says, listen... I'm doing better than the guy next to me, so I should get kudos for that. Right? You should, you should pat me on the back for that. I'm doing better than that guy. And so when we do that, this is how we interact with God. We go, God, what do you want me to do? Just what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I want my life to turn out well, so what do you want me to do? God, how do I build a great marriage? Tell me what to do to a great marriage, because I need a great marriage. I want to have a great marriage. God, how do I succeed at work? Like, you study the Bible, you learn from the Bible. How do I succeed at work? Because I want to succeed. I want to do well at work. Because I am my own man trying to follow God. How do I become a great parent? How do I, how do I improve every day? I want, to, I want to get better every day. So what do I do, God? How do I do that? How do I grow in my business? How do I, how do I make most out of my life? Because that's what I want to do. What if you're a priest? What if you're a priest? Romans 12.1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act, spiritual service of worship. You see, in the Old Testament, the way that they gave sacrifices is they killed things. You, gave, you took your precious things that you had, animals, and you killed them. And you put them on the altar and you offered them up to God. You were giving praise to God. You were worshiping God. You were saying, God, this is how great you are. That's not how we do it. God says, I don't want you to kill yourself. I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me as a priest. I want you to give offerings every day as a priest. You can give offerings that are good and acceptable to me. And if you put on the robe, if you accept the responsibility as a priest, then you live your life this way. God, I'm going to love my wife as an offering to you. I am going to pour into my wife's life as an offering to you. The more obstinate she is toward me, the more sacrifice I get to give to you because I'm a priest. When I go to work, I'm not going to do my work so I can work my way up the ladder or so I can look better in somebody else's eyes or so I can prove myself. I'm going to work and I'm going to offer my work as a sacrifice to you, God. I'm a priest. When I walk into the office, I am the priest in the office. And I am there to sacrifice my work, to give my work to God. Whether you work in an office or you pound nails or you shovel snow, all of that can be the work of a priest. I'm going to do my parenting as a priest. I'm not doing my parenting to make myself look good. I'm not doing my parenting because my kids have to turn out okay. They have to, they have to, they have to. I'm going to do it as a priest. And the reason why I'm going to do it God's way is not because I think it's going to work out good for me. I'm going to do it God's way because I'm a priest. And what I do is I sacrifice up to him good offerings to him. It's an amazing principle. How do you develop an unshakable identity? You take on the responsibility of being a priest. The second part of it, you represent God. You understand the Catholic priest represents God, right? You understand that. You understand that when he puts on those robes and he does those things, you're like, he represents God. This is serious, dude. I don't care if you've rejected the whole thing. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you still respect it. Why? It, that's what it because it's what it represents. What it represents is not bad. You see that, and you're like, I mean, I was in the funeral, and when they walked down there with those robes, I'm like, I need to get me a pair of those robes. Like, that is, that is awesome.
Now, you say, I want people to know God. Look at the priest. The people you know. Who is the priest in their midst? It's you. You say, I want my kids to know God. I want my kids to know who God is. Look at their priest. Who has God given to your children to see who he is? He's given them a priest. I want my friends to see God. I want God to be worshipped and adored. I want him to be followed. Look at the priest. We could go on and on about all of the things that you would love to see happen. And you know what it needs? It needs a priest. Now, you are a priest. The question is, will you put on the robes? The question is, will you take off your identity? Will I take off? I'm not a farmer first. I'm not a wannabe athlete first. I am not a great builder. I'm not a builder first. I'm not a businessman first. You see, you go, oh yeah, Chris, you're the pastor. You mean like I'm kind of like the big priest. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we are the priests. The question is, will you put on the ropes? Dad? Are you really just an average guy trying to do his best? I mean, come on, I go to church. No, you're not. You're a priest. The question is, are you a priest with the robes on? Or does no one know you're a priest? Because in public, you never put the robes on. Why? Because the world hates Jesus. Because with the robe comes incredible responsibility. When a true soldier puts on the uniform, what happens? He has a responsibility now. He no longer lives as though he's average Joe. Because he's not average Joe. He's there to protect the country. You're not average Joe either. But you've got to make a choice. Are you going to keep going through life, living from your weak, inconsistent, up and down identity? 
or you're going to put on a robe and go, I am the one who offers sacrifices to God. I represent God. And therefore, I will live like it. What happens in our lives when we become priests? Here's just one little story of a couple that put on the ropes. Five years ago, my husband and I decided that we wanted to start looking into starting a family. We were pretty typical two-income married people. We had a house, we had two new cars, but a lot of it felt really empty. And so we kind of started questioning, what if we started doing things differently than what the American uh, standard life looked like? So we um, looked into adoption and then ultimately into foster care. Some of the concerns that you have when kids go back to biological parents is that you don't get to know how they are, you don't get to know if they're safe, you don't know if their situation has really improved or changed. Um, so all in all, we've had eight foster kids in the last four years, two of whom we have gotten to adopt. We noticed when we were fostering that most of our kids' mothers became parents as teenagers. And we started talking about what was out there as a safety net for these young moms before their kids were removed by the state. And that's how it came upon Young Lives. During that time, I met a 17-year-old girl who was pregnant, and she was in a living situation that was less stable. So Matt and I, we started talking about um, having her move in. We knew that that meant that the plans that we had were gonna be put on hold or completely thrown out. Biggest concern was finances. You know, my husband's a teacher. We're now a family of six, but we just felt like the Lord said that he would provide. And so we moved her in in June and she had her baby in August and uh, I got to drive her to the hospital and stay with her. So I got to hold her hand while she gave birth. It's a huge privilege to walk in motherhood with her, to raise our babies next to each other. We feel like our most effective ministry is being tangible, consistent, stable. I am here for you no matter what. We wanted to help her do whatever it is that she was wanting to do, which was college. Um, we're sacrificing things for her financially, time-wise. Um, you know, I keep the baby while she's at college. Every month there's uh, stressors, just like every other family. Um, a car breaks or someone needs new shoes or whatever. And every month um, we see God's power um, and his provision show up in um, small ways and huge ways. Um, sometimes I don't know how we're gonna get through the month. I'm more dependent on him than I was four years ago and I'm more in love with him than I was four years ago because of it. Two things, one is uh, I could have made this video from a number of your lives. A number of you are, you've, you've put on the ropes. You're loving people. In our church, it's amazing to watch the different stories that have happened. I got back from vacation, didn't have time to make the video. So I grabbed this one. Number two. The videos never show how hard it really is. 
right? That's, that's a great story. But oh my goodness, there's tons of pain and who knows, worry and all kinds of stuff that goes involved in that. It's all part of putting on the robe. And somebody asked me today, so it's all about sacrifice. No. It's not all about sacrifice. It's all about I was in the dark. But now Jesus has brought me into the light. It's all about I didn't used to be a people. I didn't used to belong to God. Now I do. It's all about, I didn't used to have mercy. I only have myself, and I tried, and I failed. But now, no matter what, I've got mercy. I have an intimacy with Christ. And he says, I am a royal priest. Put on the robes. You're not an average Joe. Put on the robes.